thanks for listening again to another episode of 177 Nations of Tasmania podcast. Now, in this episode, the focus is on Tonga, one of several small island nations in the South Pacific, east of Australia. It has a population of a little over 100,000, but something like 35% of Tongans live or work in Australia, New Zealand, or the United States. Now, my guest for this episode is Manu who has a particularly interesting story, as he grew up uh, over 50 years ago on a small Tongan island with no modern technology or communications that we take for granted now. And this has very much, I think, shaped his perspectives on life. Now, Tonga is perhaps best known for its rugby players, and rugby has played a key part in Manu's life, especially in helping him adapt to and become part of a new community here in Hobart, where he moved in 1986. Now, since that time, Manu's had his ups and downs, as he will tell you, but he's also held on to his Tongan core values, which seem to have helped him stay resilient through some challenging moments. And those values include things like respect, humility, and really living in and appreciating the moments in life. So I hope that will come across to you um, during our conversation. I met my first wife in Tonga. That's how I, I end up here. So uh, she was she was Tasmanian. She was from Hobart. Yeah, yeah. That's 1985. Yeah, I was working at the Sivi restaurant in Tonga, and that's where we met. Uh, what was she doing there? She was on the holiday. She was on the holiday, and um, she came to the restaurant. We met at the restaurant. Uh, it was it was a very interesting. Incident because uh, that particular day the restaurant doesn't open for the public until five half past five in the evening. This was around three o'clock after three in the afternoon. The lady stopped by and uh, asked for um, you know some afternoon refreshment. You know weather in Tonga. So I was interesting in it. So I went and opened the bar up without. Letting the management know that. Okay. <laughs> so open the bar and get her drink. She wanted a iced coffee and a, and a piece of cake. So the management was surprised when I come and excuse me, guys, we got a customer. <laughs> yeah, uh, that's that's how we met. But I remember, I remember here, yeah, and I share it with my my children, and my wife. Uh, when I was uh, 13, 14 in Tonga, I was dreaming about Tasmania. Oh, really? We were doing geography in the classroom. And as we drawing the map of Australia, and I was, as I draw the Tasmania map, I was thinking, as the teacher discussed about the indigenous people, I thought, it would be so lovely to live there with these people. One day I, wake, I, I was awakening to that, dream that I was when I was a young kid when I was already so it's about 1996 97 when I realizing that I have been here all this time of the dream that I was dreaming about Tasmania how long before you um, sort of got together and decided to come to Tasmania so that was 85. Yeah, late '85, we went to New. We met in New Zealand. I came to New Zealand, and she, she came to New Zealand. We have some time in New Zealand. I went back home to Tonga, and, and she came back here. And then we decided to um, 
Come here. What were your first impressions of Tasmania? Do you remember? Or your first memories? Oh, I, I was already shown a lot of um, pictures, um, a lot of, um, you know, popular areas around Hobart and Tasmania as a whole before I came. So the most uh, aspect of cultural shock that came to my experience was the people. There was so much uh, uh, the discriminatory and uh, racism. Uh, I was very conscious of it mm-hmm. and too aware of that. Still, there are a lot of others who open up and, you know, more welcoming, you know, manners. And uh, But, um, yeah, that was, um, I think that was stand out to me because I get into trouble earlier on the, okay. with the law. People, um, you know, getting racist remarks, uh, remarks and... Okay. This at work and also at at sports because I was play rugby. Yeah. Oh right. Yeah, but I was conscious of it, and it was not many uh, Tongan here at the time. So my adaptability then was, yeah, it raising your consciousness to another higher level because hey, you would dream about here, you're here. It, this is part of, you know, strengthening and reinforcement of... So is that how you dealt with that, that you know, the discrimination? You just tr- tried to be be stronger? Absolutely. Yep. That's the other side of... That's the other side of, uh, of judgmental and, uh, you know, uh, being racism or, you know, narrow-minded or things like that. That's the other side. Then, remember, there's always the holistic aspect of it all. So we have all that. If the opportunity arises, it yeah, how that if we are conscious on it in a in a much more conscious level, our responses, the natural and innate responses, from us to the outside world, the people, places, yeah, conversation and all that, uh, sort itself as we, isn't it? It's just amazing. So you mean, I guess, at, at the time. It feels like a very negative experience, but over time you, you you see it in a different way. Very much, I suppose that. Uh, see, I came. I was twenty five years old when I came, so I've already been equipped and conditioning, you know, culturally and very much in from what I have from childhood on to mm. that. Yeah, you know. Family dynamics uh, determining, you know, how we progress. Uh, given we still have individual, our own self determination, and you know, whatever we seek out in life, but still, everybody's within that strong family dynamic. What was what was life like when you were a child? What do you remember? Man, you think at the time, I mean, with the experience at the time, life very much determined from season. The season for everything is truly, that, that's life, that's rules life. Because I was wondering why we go fishing early hour in the morning or late at night. 
it's just the time. That's just the time. And that, you know, high tide, low tide, early morning, right? It's different times of nature's adjustment, fish running, what kind of fish, yeah? Oh, it was just absolutely beautiful. Every day there's... <laughs> so you mean that the life on the islands is very much uh, determined by the nature, by the cycles of nature? We are one with life, mm-hmm. yeah? Yeah, but the life in the island, it's a uh, beach, swim every day. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, playing, there's nothing, no toys, no nothing, no light, no shop, yeah, no lollies. Bread, we'll have bread once a year, that's Christmas time. We see some bread. Right. We have some cake, pudding. Yeah. <laughs> so we look forward to part of the kids' life in the island, look forward to Christmas. Yeah. Something like pudding and cake, bread. Yeah. So what was the, the what was sort of daily life like for as a child on uh, a place like that? Just playing. That's mm-hmm. tree climbing on tree there's always fruit somewhere and yeah part of kids activities playing and getting fruit that we all going to get we bring all the whole lot of fruits home and that will be all eaten and sharing by everybody and yeah it's always like i'm saying the season rules or determining the way of life mm-hmm. yeah because all then the tropical fruits come in seasons uh, yeah there's all different vines passion fruit which is yeah sweet and fruity and juicy and uh, mm-hmm. yeah yeah you know it's always uh, things that we have to do washing the pots wash the dishes you know getting collecting firewood for the fire because it's fire everything cooking it to be firewood yeah coconuts is a speed they always need coconuts for the thing so kids um roles in, in a home is like collecting firewood so you had sort of chores. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. To the fire, make the pot ready. And did you have did you have a big family? You can hardly see any small family because that's, <laughs> yeah. That's everybody, yeah. Everybody. And it's all sit down and we it's life unfold. We can only deal with what we got and build from that, create. Yeah, and keep progress from there. See, I never know until I get to the big island that there are cars. Mm. <laughs> yeah, electricity, <laughs> stove. Yeah. Yeah. So you, um, so I guess people on the island were very had to depend on what was on the island and the people around them. Very much. Just that. Um, so, so what did your family live from at that time? Every family lived from the crops. You, mm-hmm. Every family grow their crops. Yeah, taro, yam, hopper, all kind of banana, you know, all different kind of taro, yam, all different kind of yams. Uh, yeah, for daily life. And there's loo, uh, belle, you know, all along there you have and pineapple and yeah all the sugar canes uh, it's quite amazing it's just the system of self-sufficiency 
in in an island is just absolutely beautiful. Mm. It manifests our ability to create and initiate with our environment. Beautiful. So is it like every family has their own bit of land where they can grow what they need? See, like uh, if you don't have what the other neighbours have, you ask for some that so they will share with you what that pulopula uh-huh. to grow, you know, so that you can have some. Is a whatever kind of crops is that so people sharing uh, every household is nobody go without anything at all there's always uh, hardly see any money mm. hardly see any money never see any money at all money then was um, one is banana and copra Cobra come from coconut. Mm-hmm. We were collecting coconuts. The procedure is quite, you know, a lot of work involved. Collecting the coconuts from the bush, bring it home, split them, dry them in the sun, open up, then going into the roast, a little hut where they're roasting that. Uh-huh. Yeah? It's called falenu, as a little... The new mean for the cobbler, yeah, coconut. So throughout the island, that was the main source, resource of income. And what, what was school like there? <laughs> That's so beautiful, eh? It's, we don't know. We only know that what's in that little island, our little community. That's where, yeah? See, remember, we have no cars, no electricity, eh? But life is beautiful. Just, there's no worries for anything at all. So I guess you, so you wouldn't have had TV or did you have radio? Some household have a radio. Yeah, no TV. Yeah. Nothing. Very, it was a very, very, like I'm saying, maybe that's what contentment is. <laughs> I went back there. In 1998, I had to um, uh, go from here to New Zealand, to Auckland, pick my auntie up, 98-year-old auntie from Auckland, take her back to the island. Yeah, so my first time back in a long time. And uh, I was telling the young people to keep our little island, <laughs> little island guys. <laughs> So you mentioned that you, when you went to high school, you went to the the bigger island. Was that the, just because that was where the high school, the only high school was? Yeah, that just part of the change in in the whole of the kingdom. Yeah, it's um, uh, transition stages of education and growing up for a young child. Except if you don't want to get, you know, any further education, and that's okay. But And I suppose that's um, the phenomena all over the world, how education starts to have some greater impact in into people's life, yeah? yeah? There's some greater differences in those who have educated and not educated. Did you, to go to school in, in the island, Did you was it like a boarding school or did you stay with family or what, what was the situation? Yeah, yeah, how I was in the other island, I was adopted there by my aunties. Uh-huh. Yeah, I was growing up by my aunties and my 
grandparents, nannies, and yeah. When I went uh, to the other island, to the main island, there to my father, like when my first time in a car, I can't stop looking and watching up the, the things passing. It was quite some experience. <laughs> Eating like porridge and rice, a different butter, bread butter. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> and what was the biggest change for you uh, with going to the new new island? Close, because uh, it was given out the seeds were in falls before we got to school. Yeah, I was little. I remember very well. So I was twelve then. I remember every Sunday weekend I was just reading the list. I was fascinated by the tool shirt and the handkerchief and the sword. Okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I think, where I'm going to get all these clothes from? <laughs> <laughs> so was it like the clothes you had to wear for school? Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, boarding school that you had to be there for you know the whole weeks and oh that. Handkerchief. Oh, we'll have a handkerchief. handkerchief. <laughs> and That's things like that. Um, you know, having two pair of shirts or, yeah, having a pair of slippers or shoes, you know. That's what I mean about how, how life is adapting and adjusting as we go, mm. solidifying a particular pattern, yeah, as we progress. Come very clear then that life is about you and the outside world. My dad was one of the early Tongan people to come and further study overseas. Okay. He came with the government scholarship to New Zealand for the agriculture. And because dad had that experience, he did want us children to follow through that. Uh, but still... No certain um, yeah, future ideas or, you know, what could be. It just manifests how beautiful life is. <laughs> but, but by the sounds of it, um, for a lot of young uh, <clears throat> Tongans, you don't always decide uh, your future yourself. It's decided by your family a bit. Yeah, well, no different from any other people, families and cultures Yeah, nowadays. How parents wanting pediment for the children. Yeah. Yeah. The earlier the children know what they want or what they would like to be, the better it is for, you know, make adjustments and from the family as a whole. Because, I mean, education is always heavily involved with finance. And I passed to go to BYU Hawaii. I couldn't go because mom and dad can't afford that. So I have, and I was the oldest one, I had to start work to help out the rest. Uh, yeah. So, but during the high school and college level, I was keep wanting to school. There was nothing in me to wanting to stop schooling. Especially me and my network of friends, we were in rugby, we played rugby together, yeah? The enhancement of our school was, Involved sports and rugby, and Tonga is always about the rugby. Rugby, grade one, all the way up to grade five, and then seniors. Uh, but no certainty for career or anything, you know. So, what did you end up doing after school? Work as a waiter. This is this. Remember, 
the restaurant where I met uh-huh, yeah. her was at the restaurant. How everything life unfolded in front of us, they said that's meant to be. I break my dad's razor and I have no money. I have to go to my friends and ask for some money. My friend was working. She was um, she working for some Swiss, Switzerland, people from Switzerland, the jewelry shop. And I go there to ask some money. Them Swiss people were friends with uh, the German people who have the restaurant. So the German people asking the Swiss people to ask the girl to find somebody to come and work there. I come to ask my friend to ask for the money. She gave me the money. It was something about $6 something for the razor. She gave me the money and told me, can I go to see them people at 3 o'clock in the afternoon, the German people. So I go, go get the thing for my dad and I go in the afternoon to the dad. They just want whoever that was you recommended will get the job. So that's how I get the job. The German people, there was uh, this coach from Munich came to Tonga to present something to the king and end up at the restaurant, met the, the German people. So they end up, the German people told they told him about me that I play rugby. So he was uh, trying to get me to come and play rugby in Munich and studying hotel and restaurant management. All right. <laughs> that was my opportunity then. Went, uh, so there were a couple of doors start to opening up. Uh, but for me, deep into my emotion was all about because I love my rugby. I know I can go anywhere in the world and play rugby and that will help me establish friends. Rugby season in Tonga is the most incredible time for all the school, because boys rugby and then netball for the girls, yeah. But it's the most, they're fighting and everything around the, 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 the town and around the rugby ground. They're just part of the, Culture, yeah. So all the schools and kids are passionate about their representative and and it's so the like the rugby matches. They say, are they like also a social event as well as sporting? Yeah, yeah. All that uh, has been helping out uh, in Tonga for a lot all these years. Japan was very clever about how they were. Japan make there's two scholarship every year. Best players in Tonga. Look at that, how smart Japan is. Every year, the two best players there in the college level from this particular college. The scholarship in Japan. When you came to Tasmania, was it easy to get involved in the rugby scene here? Because rugby, Tasmania isn't the traditional rugby playing part of Australia. Yeah, yeah. Already. I was looking forward to it. And then when I first come, when I first saw the rugby ground, I was excited. And mm. where I work in town, the people come and ask me about the come where I haven't seen the rugby mess, but I already started interacting with individuals from rugby communities. Uh, so I know then that, yeah, so my, my starting and engaging and involving within the rugby here in Tasmania was very, very good. Um, play with most of all the club around Hobart. Representing Tasmania is one of my highlights here. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. 
So you get caught up emotionally uh, when they play the national anthems and all that. Uh, it's activating other aspects of your being, where your energy is, yeah? I've done to uh, give a lot more back to the community that I fall in love with. Uh, and I gained so much since I've been in here. And how was it for you in the um, first years in in Tasmania? Were you like, how did you get work, for example? Uh, what did you, what did you do? Yeah, um, I was one of twelve people that uh, take part in the first dry style course oh, okay. for hospitality. Yeah. First, uh, I was getting involved that because I work in the industry in, at home before I came. I thought there would be an easier way for me to find some work. Uh, so involved in the course, I was on the news at the end of the course for mixing, you know, cocktail and doing the course. And then applied for a job. There was a bottle shop attendance. Applied for it at, um, it would be Aeroflin. 251 Liverpool Street. Yeah, it's a, okay. it's a um, hostel now. I was the 24-hour operator. I um, applied for the job not until a year, almost a year after I got the job. I found out that I got the job because of my <laughs> of my tattoo. Oh, really? <laughs> the boss, Chris uh, and Janet, who owned the hotel, there was another guys that they do lead light upstairs on the bottle shop that the separate business they were listing that part but the boss telling them and the boys didn't tell me until later on later that boss telling them uh, I come for the interview and he saw my tattoos and he said yeah that's the one <laughs> so I start there at the bottle shop 86 I was lucky to get three to five hundred dollars a day in the bottle shop mm. That's 86. 89, 90, I become number one beer outlet in the whole state. I sold more beer than any <laughs> outlet in the whole state. And that's how I was the first 24-hour operator. We're killing everybody. So I guess you would have met some uh, interesting people. Absolutely. Um, Absolutely. It were, uh, a couple of people, they were from the Broadmars area in yeah, they come every week. They come, they come every Tuesday. So their day is a Tuesday. They come and have their weekly order. Yeah, but they they bring me a box of vegetable, um, silver beet, potatoes. And one day they bring me the suits, six hundred dollars suit. There was six hundred dollars suits then. That's nineteen ninety. Yeah, because there was a Tongan family that they were came here, and I did help them early on. But their oldest son, he was a, a minister, and he needed suits. To, so his mother asked me, but and I told, I've got a suit at home. <laughs> <laughs> Perfectly fit. Um, other old couple that I used to, because he had no car, but he just come pay for his beer. I drop his beer down. I used to go Sundays, uh, have a beer with him, and have a game of pool at his mm. his house. There's some lonely people out there. Yeah, not everybody can assist and facilitate others in a much more uh, open, invitational and caging manners. 
But others who seeking out that from others, they know that and they feel that when they, yeah. And it sounds like your your background in, in Tonga helped you understand that. Very much. Yeah. Very much uh, how my whole childhood experience, uh, yeah, it equipping you with that capacity <laughs> level of adaptability and adjusting, yeah. I went to job for 13 months. Okay. One year, one month. Uh, I just a uh, fight. We have a fight at the Mayfield Heaven, the rugby boys. We had a <laughs> during the. Um, there was a time there was a <laughs> rivalry between University and Kanoki. Yeah, and um, I took one of the boys here off. See, there was a Saturday night. I didn't know that was already on the news. A friend of mine rang me on Tuesday and asked me, did I go to the Mayfair? And I said, yeah. And through the interview, it took my consciousness back into what did happen. And I was, as he kept interviewing, it's taking me back to where I was known. I know what, because my teeth was very sore. So then, ah, then I know then what, so she, she questioning me in our conversation and I'm seeing, dragging me back to what did actually happen. So we can really act unconsciously. We can involve and engage in some actions like that unconsciously, given that we're still capable of doing success. But what I was fascinating about that time, how can my lawyer wasn't thinking about that? Uh, because I didn't remember. <clears throat> How can I when I you don't remember what you don't know what you were doing? But I know remember very well the whole night how it unfold and it was meant to be. Mm. For my experience, I need to experience that. What I involve much more in the community, this is a very important aspect that I need to have some insight into. My wife now is the coordinator of the Moving On program. So we operate the first transitional program here in Tasmania for a ward of state children. That is running under Kennelly Children's Home. Significant bridge <laughs> for the system that's failing. <laughs> yeah, The program, a place where the young people reach their legal age and still, you know, learning, budgeting, school, meet them, you know, daily obligation, no trouble, you know, their rent and keeping their little place nice and tidy. And So we have been now through the years with more than 100 kids now mm -hmm. since we started the program. Very significantly transitioned into greater life. The biggest pattern we've been programmed is the um, a lot now of children who go to university. Okay. Gaining further education and totally breaking that cycle. Yeah. After I come up from jail, I um, had a lovely job, beautiful job at Cadbury's. I was the nut roaster. I <laughs> roast the peanuts for the chocolate. And I got the sack from there, 95. I break one of the boy's nose, and he was the 
one of the boss's boys. <laughs> oh. So I got to say, from there, I know the only way for me is up, and mm -hmm. that's to go back to school. Yeah, I've done the work, now jail, now got the sack. That's bad mm. reputation. Eh? Yeah, yeah. Seek out to go to uh, school. I finally, I just sneak into the, because what I did want to do to do counseling. I always wanted to do counseling, yeah. Get the, just fit in and get a position at Dave to do the diploma of the community services. But before I went in, before I go to school, when I got the sack, I thought to myself that I have a 15 years just to go to school. Doesn't matter whatever I do, whatever. Just a 15 years to school. I can work and do anything else outside from school, but I must be engaging in some school work. Yeah? That's how I did get to school. And uh, So the very first year at school, the teacher wanted me to write for this job. Um, it's a family, that's the first family access program start in Tasmania. Was under Relationship Australia mm. and was operate at Sir David's, that little school there behind the Crescent Hotel, Murray Street. Uh, so I was the first uh, support worker of the community access, the family access program. I fall in love with that little right. The concept behind the family access is children with broken families, children have the right to access both families. Children love both parents. Children's life determined from help and the growth and contribution from both, doesn't matter what, given what happened in there, yeah? That line is a forever line, it's a lifetime line from the child and the two parents. Nobody can bury that, doesn't matter what it costs, yeah? The present, you and me, we are sharing, we are one okay. with the present. That's the acknowledgement, that like hello and yeah, our acknowledging of one another because that you and I, we're sharing this present. Oh, okay. I've never heard it explained like that before. That's interesting. Absolutely brilliant. Because we have to remember the moment is spontaneous, it goes. Mm -hmm. Every moment have its right to be acknowledging because it comes with its own certainties and uncertainties in that spontaneous flow of the moment. But the present, we are here now. The acknowledgement of Good morning. Yeah, we acknowledge specific the moment. It is it, it's so beautiful in Tongan when you're doing that. It feels the extra vibrance of joys. Okay. Yeah, of how beautiful that we we acknowledge our sharing this moment. Yeah, okay. The special of the moment because we're sharing it. One of the most important things in the Tongan culture is va. Vas mean our relationship with others. Mm -hmm. Because naturally we have, we automatically have a relationship which have its own obligation around us. To your parent, to your sibling, yeah, to your community. 
I couldn't uh, emphasize enough on how important humility in the Tongan culture because that's how we talk. Mm. That's how you're acknowledging us. Eh? All that uh, structured way of our interacting and way to interacting and also in all different settings, it's very humbling. With this, it's a great, great asset to have that kind of knowledge and if you can implementing that in the way you're interacting and yeah, in your everyday life, it's beautiful because others, especially kids who watch, that they're learning that. Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. What we do, people, especially children, they're watching, they, they learn automatically. Oh!